The Nika on the left wing circle, fires ring wide, the shot saved, made by Lindgren off of Fogarty. I don't know if he even saw where that pass was going, but Lindgren with the anticipation threw that left leg out and made the save. Centers and is the shot, he scores! The lights went out in the building, the lights have gone out on Providence. 4 nothing. the score is Sam Annis. Gets his 20th of the year and his 60th point. He becomes only the second teamer in team history to hit the 60-point plateau. Fanning on the shot attempt was Karashek and Balmas. What about another breakaway, but time runs out. And the team earns have themselves a first round bye from the playing round of the Calder Cup playoffs. And Joel Hofer does it in grand style. His first shutout as a Thunderbird, a 26 save masterpiece. Nothing like talking about a red hot defensive hockey team heading into the final game of the regular season. And knowing that there is a bye in the picture for the Springfield Thunderbirds. This is T-Birds Talk, the official podcast of your Springfield Thunderbirds. Ryan Smith joined, as always, by Eric Bellier. Eric, good to be back on the airwaves doing this. It's been a little bit, but in the time since we were on last, a whole lot has happened, but I think this week it kind of lends itself so easily to focus on what we saw in the last three games especially after the T-Birds dropped a bit of a heartbreaker Friday in Bridgeport, which kind of deadened their chances of winning the Atlantic Division. What it did not do was take them off of their game come Saturday and Sunday to finish the season with two defiant victories on home ice over Wilkes-Barre and Providence, two teams that, oh, by the way, they might face by the time the playoffs roll around, and then to follow that up with a performance on Tuesday, particularly in the third period on Tuesday in Lehigh Valley. A chance for the T-Roots to lock up the bye. And I don't know what more can be said. We've talked so much this season about how key goaltending has been for this group. And we have said at times this year, this tandem looks like the best one in the AHL between Charlie Lindgren and Joel Hofer. They've now gone 172 minutes and 55 seconds without allowing a goal. The last goal that was scored against the Thunderbirds was the first period power play goal by Redeem Zahorna on Saturday. Two full games have been played since then. Shutouts for both Lindgren and Hofer. They now have three shutouts in the month of April after they had zero between October and March. What more can you say about the Netminders? And, and not to take away to their success, but I also think, and Chucky said it after the home game here, that uh, it was one of the easiest 60 minutes he played. And, and I think that goes to credit the defenders, the defensemen, I should say, that have been playing in front of them. And, I mean, you've even seen it with the forward group, too, Nikita on that big block to give Bitsy the uh, empty net goal in the sh at the Shooter McGavin night. Um, these guys have been getting in front of pucks, I think, more noticeable uh, than we've seen recently, even though they haven't been afraid of it. Um, it's been awesome to watch these goaltenders play. Uh, Joel in in um, in Lehigh Valley kind of faced a lopsided amount of shots in the first two periods compared to what they had. I believe going into the second period, they were outshot 14-7, to seven, they being the Thunderbirds. Um, but obviously they scored one early. So, I mean, it, when it came down to it, both goalies really, you know, got the job done with the help of the people in front of them as well. I think the biggest positive development in all of this, and it was something that I thought about it from a from 
pretty much a month or so ago, when it became clear that the T-Birds were going to be a playoff team, regardless of what the bye was going to present itself, I find, especially in the American League level, the way you handle goaltenders in the postseason is very different from the NHL, whereas in the NHL, you anoint one guy as the guy. And that's partially because in the NHL, you don't really ordinarily have to deal with back-to-backs in a playoff series. Of course, the American Hockey League is not the NHL. You don't have the advanced budgets that National Hockey League teams do. And so so you're, going to, you're going to have back-to-back games in there. You're going to have uncertainty in terms of what those dates are going to look like. There could be random layoffs in the middle of it. There could be a couple of games back-to-back leading right into another series if it comes to that point. So having two goaltenders is really really to the benefit of the T-Birds and Drew Bannister. And we've heard Drew talk about it a couple of times over the last week or so. It's made his job so easy to not have to make any decisions, pretty much, when it comes to starting goaltending decisions. It's been one than the other, one than the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it allows both goalies to get into a rhythm. And we have seen that rhythm turn into uh, more than a rhythm lately. Yeah, and to go off what you said, I believe it was Tommy. Uh, I don't rem- I don't remember for sure, but I believe it was the captain where he said, I don't even look at the board who's starting because I know whoever's in there is going to give us the best chance to win. And that says a lot because two guys, these two guys specifically, kind of have two completely different career paths. Um, Joel being his first full pro year this year, um, kind of the young gun type player. And Chucky, who I don't want to say was written off, but didn't get – the chance and the opportunity he wanted, I'm sure, in Montreal. And I mean, you heard him talk about it. The friggin' A right yeah. situation was right after he beat Montreal. Yeah. And if that didn't tell you at all in that moment of what Charlie Lindgren felt toward Montreal when he was let go by the organization, I think that was clear as day a sign of how he viewed the end of his time in Montreal and the way he has taken this new situation some new blood in St. Louis and with Springfield and to put together the year that he has put together at both levels to go 28, seven and one in your decisions between the NHL and the AHL and have a save percentage nearing nine thirty. I mean, I don't know if he'll win the Baz Bastion award for top goaltender in the AHL. I couldn't vote for him because I work in the market where he plays legally. legally, I'm not allowed to otherwise it voids all other votes, but if he is not top three, I I would like to know the explanation for why he wouldn't be top three. I would like to assume he's going to be a finalist. Um, you know, both guys, obviously, Chucky had more time in, in, in the National League than Joel did. Joel had one game, but his one game he played pretty well. Obviously, winning his first game in the, in the National League. Um, but Chucky's attitude being down here and success he's had down here, um, you could tell both – both goalies, the teams rally around him, but I mean, specifically in the game, in Chucky's case, you know, you don't see players react like that to any any player usually if they're not as tight knit of a group that these guys are. And you know, every game, you know, you see it with Swayman and Olmark and the big hug that they do um, up in Boston. But I I get those same vibes here too when it comes to Joel and when it comes to uh, Chucky because man, the role that they've been on, you know, how can you not be happy for one another? And I know Chucky is the elder statesman, quote-unquote, <laughs> but he's been a guy that has also embraced helping, you know, Joel get to the level that he wants to be at and the level that Joel that, that Chucky wants to be at. They really feed off of each other. And, you know, having two guys that, at the end of the day, it could end up being a competition somewhere for playing time for the both of them. 
but they both really genuinely care about making each other better too. And I think when you see more often than not is the best tandems, and you kind of brought up the swayman Allmark situation. I don't think people thought Boston would have uh, the success they've had at the goaltending position that they've had. Right. A lot of it comes down to being able to walk that line between rooting for the guy sitting beside you and driving to make to make the guy beside you have to answer the bell after you have a great game and you want to push each other in that way. And it's not so much a, I want to steal the job from you situation. If you have that dynamic, then all of a sudden you start getting these negative thoughts in your head of, do I really want my counterpart to be playing this well, or is it going to hamper my own time? And I think that's a really slippery slope. If you go that route, and not every team in the AHL has the luxury of having two goalies that they can rely upon game to game, week to week. And for the T-Birds and for Drew Bannister, the way the defense and the goaltending has finished this season, to me, above anything else, above all the offensive ex- exploits this team has had this season, uh, we'll get into Sam Annis a little bit later on, a little slice of Thunderbird history for him. To me, more than anything, the fact that this team has clicked defensively And on the penalty kill in the month of April, I would take that over the team clicking offensively and on the power play heading into a playoffs every day of the week. We said when the – because the Kessel signing and the trade for Lyle kind of happened piggybacking off of each other. How massive were those two moves? And and that's what I was getting to was that, you know, we kind of looked at the blue line and saying, you know, it's not bad to have eight defensemen on your your roster going into – a series because, you know, we've seen it recently. Josh Wesley all of a sudden is is a goal-scoring machine the last two weeks. And he's been in a points machine assisting-wise, too. Griffin Luce has been in on the action. Brady Lyle is now playing the Callie Rosen role next to Tommy Cross. Uh, Kess has been getting a lot of playing time. And I think, you know, a lot of the casual fans, I would say, put a lot of stock into when you know, I tweet the lines out that, oh, certain people are on the third line. <laughs> yes, um, it's because it's you, specifically. Right, right. The, 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 behind the mask of the Thunderbirds Twitter page. Um, You've revealed yourself. What have yeah, you done? That it's the, mad, you know, that, that oh, it's third uh, pairing. And, you know, you've rarely seen the Santini and Tucker pairing break up. But they all play similar minutes. Now, sure, some are others, depending on matchups. Sure, sure some are different, depending on matchups. However... This decor group is just as deep as the way the goalie group has been playing where it doesn't matter who's out there. You know these guys are going to get their job their, their job done. I want to touch upon Matt Kessel a little bit more because he came into pro hockey and a couple seasons ago at UMass, I believe in the shortened 2021 college season, I think he actually led all NCAA defensemen in goal scoring. And I think that was a little bit of a misnomer. It's not to say Matt Kessel doesn't have an offensive ability to his game. He certainly does. But in talking to him the first couple of days we had a chance to uh, see him in the room, his focus was on more so doing things so that he kind of was not saying blending into the background, but when you're a young defenseman wanting to take care of your own end first, You're normally at your best when you're not getting talked about a whole lot. And that's what Matt Kessel has done. He's now played, I believe, 14 games professionally. It's either 13 or 14. One time out of all those games has he been a minus player at the end of that game. And this isn't just your 
standard run-of-the-mill competition he's facing either. He had two games against Charlotte. He's played a boatload of games against teams that are going to be in the Calder Cup playoffs, teams that T-Birds might have to face come playoff time. And he's had to play with a couple different defense partners already as a pro. But you take away the one, the one game where he had a little bit of a hiccup in Hershey. You take that off the board, and it has been like plugging in a veteran player back there, the way he goes about handling his game. And he provides another right-handed shot, which, as we know in the world of hockey, a right-handed defenseman, for some reason, there is just some sort of cachet that goes with being one of those. And Drew Bannister, who was a right-handed defenseman himself when he played. And a pretty good one. A very good one. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's got a laundry list of them. Yeah, and, and you know, you and I have a saying that when we talk about defensemen, that if we're not talking about them, they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. And And... That's what we've seen from, you know, the D group, the, the D pair as a whole, but the leap that Kessel has made um, playing in this league. And now, look, I'm not going to sit here and compare him to Scotty. He didn't come into the league with the notoriety and the hype, per se. The came in with the national championship, yeah, though. With, yes, and I'm not discrediting all that he did, but, you know, Scotty came in with the Hobie Baker title and the, and the you know, prized prospect that, it, that he is in St. Louis and, Kessel's definitely on his way to becoming that, but Kessel's really just came in, did his job, and is a great, you know, great piece of the locker room. And Tommy said that how, how like well he's gelled with this group. You could tell. And I think that's the biggest thing as a whole with this team is like everybody who's come in, whether it's been the Colton Ellis's, the Matt Kessels, the Brady Lyles, um, Bitten back in November, whoever it may be, they've all came in. They've all made an impact on the guys off the ice as well as on the ice. kind of reminds you of the situation in St. Louis. Every guy who's gone up to St. Louis from Springfield, it's been kind of the same situation. And going through and crunching some of the numbers today, preparing some uh, written materials that you'll see in the next week or so. There's a little tease for you. <laughs> um, Twelve different players have skated for both the Blues and the T-Birds this season. And out of those dozen Six of them are still on the St. Louis Blues active roster. One of those is Scott Perunovich, who, of course, is still on IR. But the other five are still playing meaningful minutes in St. Louis, and many of them are playing meaningful minutes consistently. Talking about Logan Brown and Mackenzie McEachern before he went down injured. Nathan Walker. And I don't know if I said Alexi Toropchenko yet. Callie Rosen on the back end of things. It seems that every single time a player has gone up to St. Louis more than any other NHL, AHL system that I can think of, I don't think there have been as many impact additions. And I'm not saying impact in terms of goal scoring. Impact in terms of you know what you're going to get out of the guys, and they've been put in a position to succeed. And Drew Bannister talked about it with me. A lot of it comes down to, as a head coach at this level, you're working on putting together a team that can compete for a Calder Cup at this level, while at the same time, giving your young players the tools so that when they are ready to make that leap, they will do so with success with a limited amount of learning curves in the transition. And I don't want to be that Captain Obvious guy, but... But why not? You know, you you said in the past, like, you can't point at a team in the NHL that has the depth. You know, you're, you're... With the team that we have down here and the team up in St. Louis, you are 18 forwards deep on the light side that can go play in the NHL. 
you know, I'm not going to, and, and, and. I mean, look at the top line in Springfield. Matthew Pekka, James Neal, and Sam Annis. And I'm not going to get on And I'm, st- and I'm still, yeah, you're gonna say I'm gonna still say. trying to figure out how Sam Annis never played an NHL game. Yeah. And, and I mean, if he was with any other NHL franchise this year, I think it was very likely. And it just so happens the one area of, um, of, you know, that wasn't a big need was that right side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So, so naturally it didn't work out for Sammy, but again. You know, Sammy now a piece of, like we teased earlier. He has a piece of Thunderbird history, and I think if you mention Springfield Thunderbird hockey, the two names you have to say in that sentence are Tommy Cross and Sam Annis. Um, what we saw with Sammy with the pink in the rink stuff, um, which I did cry like a baby in the in the, in the press box. <laughs> um, what we've seen as a person with with whether it's kids or off the ice stuff, Sammy's been a constant pro and. and on top of that, a pretty good hockey player. Uh, <laughs> I would say so. He's once again knocking on the door of being top 10 in the AHL in scoring. And you remember how slow Sam Annis' start to this season was in October, November? I don't think he was ever worried about it. I'm sure there's folks out there who saw what he did with Iowa two seasons ago and said, we're waiting to see that Sam Annis make an appearance. My goodness. Once that Sam Annis started appearing, it was just a snowball rolling down a hill and you can't go a period without noticing something that he's doing in a positive light. And, and it was one of those like, wait till the damn walls break situation. Yes. Sammy, because I remember we got like, I think it was like 11 games in. He finally got his, the first goal of the year. And you were like, okay, here we go now. And then he got hot and then he cooled off once everything was going on with, you know, the, the COVID-19 protocols up in St. Louis as well. And then he got going again. And then he's he hasn't been streaky because when he hasn't been putting the puck in the net, he's been doing things to get other guys to put the puck in the net, even if he's not popping up on the score sheet. And you know that's what a complete type of player um, means to a team like this, where he's doing the off the score sheet stuff. He's been one of the most physical forwards on this team, and he's built like a, like a player that you necessarily would expect to have him do. I, I, I compare him to the same height and width as Dryden Hunt. And you see what Dryden Hunt's doing on a nightly basis playing in, playing for the Rangers. So, to me, what, what Sammy's done this year has just been, if he's not scoring, he's finding ways to be productive. He has always had a way, dating back to his days at Quinnipiac, he has always found a way to craftily open up space for himself, dodge defenders who are probably trying to smear him right through the boards, trying to take him off his game, trying to intimidate him with sheer size, and... I mean, we've gotten to know Sammy, and we've gotten to know Sam, the hockey player, too. And one of, for my money, pound for pound, one of the most resilient players I have ever seen at the American League level. Yeah, I can't wait to see how um, the rest of his career path goes. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and be, you know, reading the crystal ball, but there's got to be a chance for him somewhere in the National League at some point coming up soon with the way he's played. Um, I know we're not supposed to pick favorites, but when, I'm not going to say it, I'm going to say when the day comes that Sam plays his first NHL game, I'm not sure I will ever be happier for any one guy to get that first one than him. He's a guy that, you know, you want to see succeed no matter where he is. Um, You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I hope one day down the line he plays for Providence, (laughs) but (laughs) I, I hope that Sammy somewhere, if not here, which I would love for it to be here and say, well, St. Louis in this organization. 
that he does get a chance because not only does, does the person deserve it, but more importantly, the player deserves it. Yeah, and his his body of work at the American League level now for a run of about three or four years now uh, certainly puts himself in that conversation where I think at at worst you're looking at a guy who should be a and I don't use like using the term fringe in this scenario, but feels like a guy who should be someone who can be an instant plug-in when you have an injury in your middle six at the yeah, NHL level. And, and, and if you look at it outside of what St. Louis has taken from us um, throughout the year during the you know Springfield Express thing, that's what most of our guys have been outside of you know whoever else you want to say filled in on the first line for a night. But everybody's been a guy that oh he's hurt, let's put him on the second line. You know, we've seen Nathan Walker skate with practically all other, you know, 11 guys on their forward group. Um, that's the plus of having the depth down here, and I think that's going to be something that comes into play in the playoffs. You know, we just got DJ back. Dakota played well, scored a goal in, in the league. <laughs> yeah, let's go on that for a second. Yeah. Dakota Joshua on Tuesday in Allentown. I mean, it's not to say he wasn't great before that. He had been having such a great run in the American League by the time he got called up this last time to St. Louis, adding more to the frequent and flyer almost, miles. And he almost put one in. Oh, we were watching it prior to one of our games where he banged one off the crossbar against Minnesota. And then he did put one in a couple of nights later. Yep. Then he comes back to the Thunderbirds and when it'd be so easy in that situation to kind of have a woe is me, what do I have to do to stay in the National Hockey League? But instead, I love seeing when a guy comes down to the American League and says, you know what, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove why I'm an NHL player. I'm going to take this I'm going to take this line. I'm going to take this game and I'm going to grab it by the throat and take over. And Dakota Joshua was I know Matthew Peck has scored twice. And Matthew Peck had a great game. Yes. Great game on Tuesday. Career high in goals. Dakota Joshua was hands down the most noticeable player on the ice on Tuesday. Yeah, and and DJ, you know, you you said could have came down here and been woe is me, but DJ is one of those guys this year. I, I usually try to get to know everybody early on in the year, and Tommy's a given, obviously. But DJ I met really late, like February late. And him and I hit it off in a sense where he didn't know who I was through a hole in the wall, vice versa. Um, obviously, I knew him from the zombie ice stuff. But a guy that has really embraced being down here and being one of those guys that could say, hey, you know, I know what it's like to be here. I know what it takes to get up there. And I think that's the message he brings into the locker room, too, in a sense of a guy that's been going through it more than anybody this year. Yeah, and I mean, he's the one guy out of the 12 that I mentioned. He's the one guy who's played 30 or more in both leagues this season. So he has more than a feel of the pulse at both levels. So it's allowed him to get, arguably, a little bit more camaraderie and chemistry with guys in both dressing rooms. He's earned the respect of the guys in each dressing room. And more than anything else from my conversation with him, God, that was probably almost a month ago already, he kind of enjoys and invites the challenge of when he's in the NHL, you take on that you're playing fewer minutes, but you need to make those minutes count with a 110-mile-an-hour pace of play. And when you're down in the American League, you're going to get your 16 to 20 minutes, and you're going to be asked to be one of the guys in the offensive zone. And he has the ability, through his size, through the way his natural game works in straight lines, straight ahead, that he is able to fulfill both of those roles. And I think for guys who are 
kind of looking at what can I do down the road in my career to make myself a guy who can be reliable in the NHL in that bottom six role, but someone who can be a, a great scoring presence and someone who's an impact player in the top six at the American League level. For so many guys who walk that tightrope between the two leagues, that is your ticket to the National Hockey League, and Dakota Joshua is the proof positive that that is a very viable option. You take, as an example, a team in the National League that has had a tough time at center, and, and I look in terms of injuries and whatever else, I look at the New York Islanders, I, could pl- I would have full confidence in plugging DJ in on their second line and playing center night in and night out, and... and that's the type – it just shows the versatility that he has because he comes down here and, you know, Neil getting the maintenance day in, in Lehigh Valley. Um, DJ was the first line left wing and played a considerable amount of the time because every time I turned my head, DJ was charting on the left side of the ice looking to skate through somebody like he always does. And you saw it down, uh, down in, uh, well, up in St. Louis too. Down geographically. Yeah, down up geog- organizationally. Yes, and, and you saw what he did there where – he was getting his 12 minutes a night and playing that bulldog style of play. It just shows what a complete player is and shows what a complete, you know, development a guy that DJ can go through. Because what is he, still 24? You know, he's still a young, still a young pup. Yeah, he's still a young guy. And, I believe he's 25, yeah, maybe 26 later this year. Getting used to the to, to the style of play out of, out of Ohio State. And he's just been a guy that you could tell no matter where he's playing, St. Louis, Springfield, wing center no matter what it is he's been a guy that can play anywhere at any time for any amount of time and that's what it takes to be a player that can be relied on to get called up because who has the most miles outside of Callie Rosen on on their docket is is DJ I think DJ's the leader in the clubhouse by a considerable margin at this point in the year I think the only thing maybe preventing him from being that leader in the clubhouse was the fact that he had one longer stay there at one point earlier in the season when uh, there were injuries and there were other circumstances kind of surrounding all of that. But uncertainty. Uncertainty. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> that's the word nobody wants to hear anymore after this year. Oh, yeah. But all of this phenomenal. All of this just great, great, great signs for the T Birds going into the playoffs. And now you have a different challenge in the form of you worked hard enough to get the buy. You have a chance to earn some rest. You're 0-0 again. You, you're 0-0 again? Yes, you are. And you have to walk the fine line of making sure you're getting your body right, uh, maybe getting yourself a chance to try your darndest to get Hugh McGing and Clem Costin back come playoff time. And if that happens, great. If not, they've proven that even without them, they have a formidable lineup that can still create all sorts of of nightmares for the opposition defensively. But it's going to be interesting to see what Drew Bannister does with his group. This is really the first time there's ever been a play-in situation in the American Hockey League with this buy scenario. And no matter who the T-Birds face, and there's three teams they could face, it'll either be the Providence Bruins, if the Bruins can defeat the Bridgeport Islanders, or it'll be the winner of the Wilkes-Barre-Hershey series if Bridgeport knocks off Providence. Those three teams, the T-Birds have, for the most part, handled those three teams well inside this building this season. T-Birds have had the most road success in Providence of those three teams' weird. road buildings. <laughs> Familiarity breeding contempt there to some level, yeah. I'm sure. But no matter what the situation is, 
the T-Birds are going to be the team with a much longer layoff than the team they're facing. And you can look at it one of two ways. That team will have had to play two, maybe three games of fight-for-your-life playoff hockey, and you might have some bumps and bruises and more to show for it. At least three games, right? Because it's best three out of five, right? No, best of three or in the best, pl- of, three best of three. Sorry. Best of three in the play-in. Yep. But still, you talk about uh, value of games mattering. Importance. Yeah, it's not the NCAA single elimination tournament, but it is. Pretty close. It is darn close in terms of the margin for error is wafer thin, and I don't think anybody would ask to willfully take on a best of three. I think the T-Birds and Charlotte Checkers will both be kicking their feet up at night, watching the games, hoping that you get a whole bunch of multiple overtimes. And <laughs> They're all hoping for that uh, six-overtime Islander game from the 90s. <laughs> or the or the five-overtime Charlotte-Lehigh game from 2018, oh, yeah. if you just go back a little ways oh, in, yeah. in the past. You're, you're hoping for that, but at the same time, you have to make sure that you have your mind and your feet ready for full send the second that puck drops. Well, you know, my, my big thing is is that they're going to come out of this, in my opinion, well, during their, you know, layoff, um, their well-earned layoff, is that I, I fully expect Coach Bannister and staff, who, by the way, did a great job of Banny not being on the bench. Um, want to shout them out for that, too. Um, but what, what I expect them not to go into this week's practice and just, like, around. You know, I expect skate. quite the opposite. I, I think these yeah. are going to be some of the more intense practices that you deal with. You'll have the benefit of having a day or two off here or there that you normally wouldn't have in a week-to-week basis, but not to say it's going to be a full-on bag skate that scratch players get at the start of the day on a yeah. game day, but it's going to be, it's going to be a more intense practice, but the one thing Drew Bannister did touch upon with me is the thing that he learned most from for folks who don't know, Drew Bannister won a Calder Cup himself as a player Hartford. with Hartford back in the year 2000. And he said the one thing he really learned from John Paddock, his head coach, who is an AHL Hall of Famer, by the way, what he learned from John and that coaching staff was when you get to playoff time, you laid the foundation for your team in the regular season. You as a head coach laid the foundation what your body of work is going to look like, what your identity, what your systems, what all of that is going to look like. And when you get to playoff time, you need to entrust in your players that the lessons that were heated to them throughout 76 games are there. And then you just got to let them take the keys to the car. You'll do some adjusting and you'll do some guiding here and there. But they're the ones who are going out there. And ultimately, they're going to be the ones who win a title or basically die trying to win a title. And I think I thought that was an interesting way to look at it and something that... You don't necessarily think about it in those terms, but how often do we see the best teams are the ones where the coaches have the full trust in the guys, and and it's just it's just a matter of and I go back to a John Cooper example once again the back to back cups for the Lightning. How many times do you see John Cooper really making rash decisions in a game in a moment? There is full trust in that group. You hand off the keys and you tell them. You have what it takes. You have worked yourself up to this point. The foundation's there, and you don't have to. You don't have to dig hard to find energy in a playoff game. And if you do, you're probably not cut out to be in them. And the only time you've seen coach make drastic changes in a game is when things really aren't going well. 
and that was on the rare occasion. Sure, he might have tinkered with a guy, given a guy a different look here and there, but he's been a guy that has really stuck with, these are my 12, and there goes that. And I, and I think his experience, both at the junior as a coach, winning a Calder as a player, and being a successful AHL coach, I think is going to come into play tenfold going into this playoff series with whoever they end up playing against. Because I feel as if they know, he knows what it takes to get the job done. And he also knows that there's players in that locker room that know what to take, what it takes to get the job done. That's why I think, you know, yes, Tommy, we can talk about him until we're green in the face. But bringing in a guy like Luke Witkowski, too, who a guy who's been as valuable as he's been on the ice, basically becoming a full-time forward. Um, it's like having a second captain. Like or in a, this room, maybe a fifth captain. Yeah, and, and, and being a guy that has been to the mountaintop as a captain. And has been to been been to countless playoff series. Look at the two organizations he's played yeah. for in the National Hockey League and the history that those two franchises have. Lightning recently, Detroit overall. I mean, look at the look at the history of those two teams. And you don't you don't go up and make contributions to those two franchises unless you are doing something right behind closed doors and being someone that is looked up to. And we heard Tommy Cross talk about it the week. Luke Witkowski arrived of just what a huge presence he brings, not just in the way he plays like a wrecking ball, but just what he brings intangibly. And I don't think, I don't even, I'm not going to pretend I fully grasp how important it is to have those guys in that dressing room because we're not in there to physically see that communication, that camaraderie that comes with it. But I was reading a story earlier today about, uh, John Cooper's Norfolk Admirals Calder Cup winning team, the team that won 28-29 in a row mm-hmm. up until winning the Calder Cup, setting the league record, going 43-3 and in one stretch of 46 games. And what was mentioned in that article ad nauseum on The Athletic was the togetherness that that group felt and some of the times and the memories that they made off of the rink. And I don't think people fully grasp how vital something like that can be in a group setting when you're chasing after something and you're going to battle for the guy next to you on either side of you every single day. And I look at this team and I look at the guys who go one by one past me filing onto the bus and there's not a single guy who I look at that I say to myself, yeah, maybe... Maybe this guy isn't a fit. Every single guy has a role. Every single guy has a purpose. And you see it in their eyes. There is a purpose in what they do going about their business. And I don't know where this road's going to end for this team. But what I do know is it's not going to be arrived at uh, laying down. Yeah, and and just one thing on Witter. It's so funny how soft-spoken he is. When he, you expect a polar opposite with the way he, he plays. He play on the ice, then we interview him, and it's like, oh, yeah. We're like, wait, what? I was like, the first time I ever talked to him, I was like, wait a second. I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, this this team is in a direction that you couldn't be happier with going into the first playoff series, whenever that is, assuming a couple weeks. Um, he's been this, – this team has just been no matter who's here, no matter who's playing – they have the same goal in life, to, same goal in life, same goal. To I mean, in shift. hockey life, yeah, sure. Yeah, to win the shift, you know, to win the possession and, and, and to ultimately win the game. And it's it's like that that scene in in major league where it's like, well, what are we what are we waiting for? Like, let's just do this and do it for us and the people around us. 
Um, now we have great ownership, and they're not looking to sell the team like they like they did in Major League. But this group, thankfully, is just, yeah, this group is feeding off of each other, and it just shows that you know I've been in some locker rooms, not nearly as much as you in your junior career in here, but to me, this group has a sense of like they're all one person, and and they feed off of each other, and they they have the same goal to just get to the top, and and I think for the fans here. They've been chomping at the bit to, to get going and call the cup playoffs again. The Thunderbirds have finished their home slate of games and... There's one left. <laughs> not home games. No, one road game. I'm one road game yeah. left that thankfully is of a little substance other than stat sheet at the tail end of things. But I bring up home ice because this T-Birds team, I know their points percentage is not top billing, in the AHL this season, but they played 38 home games this season and earned points in 28 of those. 26 of them were wins. No other AHL team has more than 23 wins, I believe, on home ice this entire season. You tell me home ice doesn't matter? Win your final four at home, and the building is loud as it was in all four of those, to Providence, Wilkes-Barre, and Hershey, Good luck. Yeah, this this is an arena, and we've and we've touched on it. This is a barn, and you've mentioned Utica's, you've mentioned uh, Hershey, Valley's, Hershey's, all ones that have. If Hershey is the opponent, by the way, that has a chance to be one of the loudest combined series yeah, in the yeah. in the AHL playoffs. And, and you know, you've mentioned you know places that are hard to play in as a road team, and. I haven't been to many barns in the, in the league, but I do know, I've talked to people on other teams, guys that I know, they've had very hard time playing here because of the fan base and because of how loud it gets. I couldn't be happier the roof is so low, even though it does get pretty loud up in our booth. Um, you have the, the courtesy of not having to hear it with the headset on, but you do pick up some of it. I might hear it louder for all you know. And, and, and they, they really bring the energy, and we've heard countless guys say how much they feed off of it. Vets and young guys alike, by the way. And it's it's an experience that guys two years ago didn't get to have because of the shortened season. Well, yeah, two years ago, they didn't get to have because of the shortened season. And where they played, they were up in Syracuse, or Utica, right? Yes. Utica. Utica. They didn't have fans until the very end, which Sammy even said, we had a couple thousand for like a month. If that. If that. And, And it was something that they really missed, and guys that have been there before can play in front of, you know, rocks and be completely fine. But there, there's an extra level to their game when you have people banging on the board screaming for 60 minutes straight. You can't point at a barn in, that, in the American League, maybe outside of Hershey, that brings the energy night in and night out on a 36-game basis that they do here. Yeah, and that having that home ice secured, minimum for one round, if if Charlotte were to fall in the division semifinals and Springfield were to advance, you have home ice for two rounds yep. in the Calder Cup playoffs. And who knows? There is a potential. If things fell in the other divisions and the other conference, Springfield has put themselves in a position where it is not out of the question to have home ice in every series they play. I'm not suggesting we get there. There is a lot to happen. It is a possibility. There is a lot to happen. But as the uh, 
as our friends in Dumb and Dumber would say, you're telling me there's a chance. Yes, and, and how many movie references have we gotten we in today, by the way? That's a, really it's kind of a scary. It's kind of a scary amount. We're kind of going. And, we're kind of going off the railroad tracks here. And they, and, and but I think just, I like it. Yeah, me too. And, and I mean, this game is going to be a nice little tune-up for a good break-off in Providence. Now we don't know who's playing and who's not. Um, but we, by the sounds of it. There's not going to be as much resting as you think because the one thing we failed to take into consideration this isn't like the uh, this isn't like the NHL where you could have an ability to call up some AHL guys for a final game for rest situations and this isn't like the NFL where you have a backups to every position that you play right. everybody's got to get in at some point yeah. and so uh, there's not going to be as much rest as you might think now might you avoid stepping in the way of a blistering 110 mile an hour shot that's yes. coming up near your shoulder maybe you stray away a little bit in a game like yeah. this but i think in the moment i think these guys are so wired competitively that you still want to do it even if it's a game that doesn't change what the series is going to look like uh come the week of the ninth or the 10th whatever whatever that date is i don't think we're going to see it be as much of a I don't want to say lackluster game. I don't think it's going to be as much of a drop-off in intensity as we think. Right. And, I mean, it's, it's T-Birds Bruins, too, which is which has been a series this year that has been just as Talk about back as, and as forth, back and forth, back and forth. So it's going to be fun. And then, you know, next week we could obviously we'll have more of a feel of what's going on in the in the, in the I can't wait to sit down and actually, without games going on, actually have a chance to watch these yeah. other series in depth. It'll be it'll be a real learning experience for us. We could do the, the, the TSN playoff. We could be the, you know, Elliot Friedman's of the world and, and <laughs> really sit down and start looking at the series and how they're going. So it's going to be a fun ending um, after tomorrow night, obviously Friday night. Um, it's going to be a fun ending to the season, and it's going to be a fun, you know, little break getting into the season. Because, you know, getting into the postseason. Because you know these guys just as much as we are are going to be sitting there going, all right, who are we getting? What's going on in this game? They'll be scoreboard watching just as much as we are. Yeah, and everybody will because you're preparing. What are you seeing out of these opponents? Who are guys they might be getting from juniors, from college, other places that... That's the other wild card in all of this in the AHL. The potential of getting some of your uh, major junior prospects when their seasons come to a close. And looking down the line here, the top two prized prospects in major junior for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, one of them is Jake Neighbors, who already has played in uh, nine NHL, eight or nine NHL games, just shy of burning his entry-level contract. Nearly made the team as it was. Yep. And then you have, excuse me, you have Zach Bolduc, who with the Quebec Remparts is having just a monster, monster season as a, First-round selection by St. Louis, I believe, back in 2020. Yeah. Those two guys, whenever their runs are over, and again, both those teams are ranked very highly in the uh, Western Hockey League neighbors and the Edmonton Oil Kings, I believe, are a second seed in their conference. The Quebec Remparts, I believe, were division winners in the Quebec Major Junior League in that league. So leagues, you're, not, you're not certain of when their runs are going to come to an end, and kind of a weird situation if you're Drew Bannister and if you're us, people who are looking at the Thunderbirds and ways that an already great team can be bolstered. But if all of a sudden uh, Jake Neighbors and Zach Bolduke's junior seasons come to an end, there's some decisions to make. All of a sudden, you got two bona fide 
uh, center and wingers who at this level, it's not an easy jump to go from junior to the American right. League. And we've seen guys more often than not experience a little more of a learning curve than they expected. But you're telling me you would balk at the opportunity to maybe have one or two recent first rounders in the fold. <laughs> I think uh, coach Bannister would be happy to make very tough decisions like that. I think he would late, late in the, late in the se- literally late in the season as, as you can get. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we saw Aturati with Bridgeport he played really well. He was very noticeable. Talk about someone who could have an impact in their series That's with Providence. Yeah, you, he, he skates like the wind and, and can power you like Torpo and DJ does. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with neighbors. Um, both two guys, like you said, are having great years in, in junior. Two of the best, argue, are, in my opinion, the two best junior leagues in the world. Um, and I think they're going to be guys that, you know, if it comes to that point, like you said, they're ranked fairly high in their respective leagues. Um, if it gets to that point, I think you're going to see some tough decisions made one way or another here. And you added to the factors of the Clem Cosson and the Huma Gings, what's their situation? There's a lot not, of... not to mention in playoff hockey, you're bound to run into an injury or two yep. with how intense the games are played. Yep, and 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 they, you know, these are all good things. That goes back to our our point all the way back in October is that depth is never a bad thing, and you having these guys are going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to after tomorrow night get a chance to just sit back and watch, kick the feet up on the couch, uh, grab some popcorn, and oh, yeah. enjoy some Atlantic Division and. Really, all around the AHL, enjoy some playing around hockey. Enjoy the best of threes. It's a lot more enjoyable when you're not one of the teams that could all of a sudden in two bad nights see 72, 68-72 or 76 games worth of work have to come to an end in the snap of a finger. But for a handful of teams in this league, that is the exact harsh reality that's going to come in the next week. We don't have to bite our nails yet. Not yet. <laughs> the week after that, yes. all bets are off. <laughs> all bets are off. So again, T-Bird's final game of the regular season, Friday night, the 29th of April in Providence. One more matchup with the Bruins. T-Bird's can try to win the season series outright, looking for win number seven and game number 12 against Providence. T-Bird's, of course, coming off that phenomenal 4-0 effort against the Bruins on Sunday afternoon, a game that a game that never for a second, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant with this, but from the moment that puck dropped, did you have a sliver of doubt in your mind that the T-Birds were going to dominate that game? Because I, I had a, I had such a unique feeling at the start of that day. And just seeing it from the boys who were walking into the building, there was just something different about the rink that day. I remember I texted you guns blazing because they came out hard right away. And it just, you can't, you can't point to a team and tell me if that, if the team like this comes out with that intensity that they can't make it make a deep run with this. And I think, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves, I think with that style of play against Providence we saw last week, if that's their attitude and mentality going into the playoffs, I, this, this team's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be – it's a ride that I personally have waited a long time oh, to yeah. take. It's one that our great fans in this city have waited eight years to experience again. Yeah. And I – if, if these fans are anywhere near as excited as I am and is anywhere near as excited as the boys are, uh, this is going to be one one heck of a hopefully two months. Oh, yeah. 
So, again, final game of the regular season tomorrow night. We will have to watch those playoff series. Again, the one to pay attention to first and foremost is Bridgeport and Providence. Best of three. Uh, Providence will have the home ice advantage in two of those three games. Winner of that series will dictate who the T-Birds play. If the Bruins defeat the Islanders, it is T-Birds and Bruins in a best of five in the division semifinals, which how poetic would that be with the way this season series was. If the Islanders, who are playing some very inspired hockey lately, if they're able to turn the feed against Providence, then our eyes are set on Northeast and Central Pennsylvania for Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and Hershey. Winner of that series would face the T-Birds if the Islanders go through. And again, T-Birds took care of home ice pretty well against these teams this season. On the road in Hershey and Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, not as much success for the T-Birds in those buildings, but... The great thing about playoffs is you wipe the slate completely clean. Oh, yeah. And there's a bunch of former T-Birds, you know, familiar faces that are in the playoffs, too. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing a lot of familiar faces, especially in this division, looking at uh, number 38 on Bridgeport specifically. (laughs) No kidding. But, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, I'm sure these fans like to see us, you know, play and, and have them in the playoff series, too. I have a hard time believing that our fans don't want the Providence Bruins, to be the team it's to gonna face. Fun, it's gonna be a fun if game. it were to happen, one of the oldest rivalries in the history of the American Hockey League gets to renew itself in the playoffs once again. It's epic. It's storybook. And storybook. with it being such an easy drive for both teams, the opposition fans are going to be making trips. There's going to be an inner arena animosity in both places. And if it does come to that, it'll be one heck of a ride. As someone who lived, who lives it, back home it's islanders rangers it's like you walk into that building and you could cut the tension with a sword that's how thick it is not a knife a sword yeah well that's how thick it is it's thicker than than you need to use a knife for so it's going to be it's going to be an if we get to that point it's going to be an awesome 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 fight well next week's installment of t-birds talk will be able to answer most of those questions don't know if every series will be done by that point it looks like the providence series will be done by that point And we might have our answer by the time we are back on T-Birds Talk a week from now. But until then, for Eric Bellier, Ryan Smith again, bidding you all a good afternoon. Enjoy some playoff hockey. Good playoff. Good playoff hockey, indeed. Until next week, this has been T-Birds Talk.